Amen. All right. We're now transitioning uh, to the word of God. So I invite you to follow along this morning. Psalm 81. Uh, If you've been with us these past few weeks, you'll know that we're in the Psalms through the duration of the summer. And for this section of the summer, we're kind of going through the Psalms of Asaph, who was the choir director for David. He loved to write Psalms. And uh, so we're, we're going for, through him for the next few weeks. Today's Psalm 81, a Psalm of Asaph. Do you follow along and hear the word of the Lord this morning? Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. Quote, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. So this morning, I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done. And I promise this is legal. I'm going to use another pastor's sermon outline, but I'm giving him credit for it. I'm not, I'm not going to read this person's sermon word for word, but I listened to a sermon about three weeks ago on Psalm 81. And the reason I listened to that pastor was because he recently passed away. His name is Timothy Keller. And I, I read him. I, I listen to his sermons often. Um, but I respect him a ton. And when he passed away, I said, I just, I want to hear his voice. And so I listened to a sermon from Psalm 81 from Timothy Keller, and he entitled it Honey from the Rock. And as he preached this sermon, I got to the place where I said, I don't know of a better outline that I can give. So I'm going to give this a Salem First Baptist Church flair, of course. He was a pastor in New York City. We're not in New York City. So I'm not reading his sermon, but I am going to use his outline. And this is his outline from May 19th, 2002, Honey from the Rock, Psalm 81. Point number one, life is a wilderness. Point number two, 
But there's a rock in that wilderness. Point number three, and there's honey in the rock. So that's the outline I'm going to use this morning with probably one more point added on throughout this. So point number one, life is a wilderness. If you read Psalm 81, which we just did, the first couple of verses um, are about singing and joy and playing instruments and talking about a festival at the new moon, which is, you know, the beginning of a month. And most people agree that this was probably referring to one of the great festivals of the Jewish people that they would celebrate in ancient times. This one was probably the Feast of Tabernacles, or some people call it the Feast of Booths, which was a time every year where the people of Israel would literally for eight days build a little tent or a booth and live in it for eight days to remind themselves of the time when they lived in booths or tents in the wilderness after being led out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, when they were enslaved. So you may know the story in the Old Testament. Um, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. This is the Moses story. Moses comes in, you know, let my people go. After many attempts, Pharaoh finally lets them go. So Moses leads them out. And they live in the wilderness for 40 years. It wasn't supposed to be that long, but it turned out to be that long because of their disobedience while in the wilderness, their lack of faith. But they lived by faith, they lived in trust and independence of God to keep them uh, during those 40 years in the wilderness, and they lived in little tents. And even the Spirit of God, they built him a tabernacle, a mobile temple to guide them and to be with them during their wilderness wanderings until they got back to Israel, to the promised land. And so this, this psalm was to be sung and read and prayed over and reflected on during the Feast of Booths every year when they were remembering how God saved them out of that experience. And so for you and I, there's something about the wilderness experience of Israel that should resonate with you and I as well. Because... Life is a wilderness. What is the wilderness? You know, I, what I don't want you to hear when I say life is a wilderness is great. I can go hiking or I can go see the waterfalls or I can do a picnic in a beautiful place. That's not what I mean by wilderness because that's not what the Bible referred to the wilderness as. Think of the wilderness in the Middle East, the desert, a barren place, a hot place with a few trees, but a lot of danger. The wilderness was not a place to live. It was not a place to get away to on a vacation. It was a place exposed to the elements with little access to food or water. And there was dangerous animal life that was there lurking. It was a place that you were designed to pass through to get somewhere else, not to live in. And it was a place that if you, if you didn't know what you were doing, you would easily die in. So it's not a place designed to live in. It's a place where you go through to get to somewhere else. And for Israel, like I said, they were going through the wilderness in order to get to Israel. So in between Egypt and Israel, that was the wilderness experience. And for us, all of us enter into the wilderness um, at some point in life. Some of us, it feels like 40 years. Some of us, it might actually be an actual 40 years. Some of us, it might be longer. 
But I think for a lot of us, it's seasons. Again, something you pass through. And the, the duration can change. It can be a couple of days or it could be a couple of weeks or like I said, could be very much longer. But all of us enter into wilderness experiences in our life where it feels hopeless, where you feel like you could actually just die, where you feel like you can't find the food or water to be sustained, where the satisfaction of life seems to have evaporated and you're just exposed to the elements. All of us enter into those wilderness experiences and that's comprehensive emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically. All of us have been there and even in a room with this many people, I'm assuming there's people in a wilderness experience now. In verse seven, it says, in distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you at the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. You know, the secret place of thunder for Israel uh, is probably referring to the Mount Sinai experience where they come to the Mount, the people of Israel are wandering in the wilderness. They come to Mount Sinai. And this is where God gives them the 10 commandments in you know, Exodus 19 and 20. So the secret place of thunder was, again, it talks about when Moses would go to the top of the mountain, it would be lightning and thunder because it was a sign of God's presence to the people of God at the time. And so God would meet them in the tabernacle, again, the mobile temple that they built to house God's presence. He would meet them in that place in the thunder, in the storm. The storm is this great image of God's presence. He would meet them there. That's where God would be with them in the wilderness. And the waters of Meribah, this is really important for the ongoing development of the sermon this morning. The waters of Meribah were uh, these times in the wilderness where the people of God were really thirsty. They couldn't, against the wilderness, they couldn't find fresh water. And so they came to a rock in the wilderness and the people were grumbling and God was testing them basically to see if he, if they would trust that he would deliver them, if they, if he would give them the water they needed to survive. And so he instructs Moses to strike the rock and Moses did and the water came out. And so they named it Meribah, which means testing. God met them and provided water for them in the wilderness Ironically, they come back to Meribah later in the book of Numbers, also looking for water. And at that point, Moses also strikes the rock, but does so before God had said, that's what you should do. And so Moses was judged for being too presumptuous, striking the rock, even though water came out again. So for us today, life is a wilderness because life is hard. When times feel hopeless, when we feel abandoned, when we feel tested to our very limits, that means you are in the wilderness, biblically speaking. So it's okay to use that terminology for you. You're in the wilderness. The wilderness is a test for us, just like it was for the people of Israel. As God said, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. What is God testing? You know, there's a, I've been reading a book recently by a Chinese house church pastor. Actually, not just one. It's written by several Chinese house church pastors who are living in a, a tough place in the modern day to be a Christian. You know, they operate in house church with the state's shadow kind of looming over them. They, they could shut them down or put them in jail at any time. 
But one of the sermons I was reading was this pastor talking about testing, and he goes to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, which I'll read it for you uh, briefly and then explain a little bit what he says. But 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 9 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He talks about how God tests the genuineness of our faith by allowing us to enter into wilderness experiences to test us to see, are we really putting our full trust in him? Just like gold goes through a refining process to test the purity of it, so God allows us to be tested, to test the purity of our faith, the sincerity of our belief as well. And so this, this pastor says, Peter illustrates that impurities in faith need to be removed by trials. This is how faith becomes more precious than gold. As Psalm 66, verse 10 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. And then really interestingly, he uses the example of Hannah, the story of the biblical character Hannah, who is in the book of 1 Samuel. And I'll just tell you this story uh, if you're not familiar with it in, in short. But Hannah was barren, like many of the Old Testament women seems like they were. She couldn't have a child. And she was grieved by that. And she was jealous of those around her who could. And it says in in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. That's the wilderness. She's in the wilderness. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, And not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And this Chinese house pastor comments and says, and then God said the fire could stop for her. Hannah became pregnant the next day. With this kind of faith, all the impurities are finally burned. So he says, when, whenever she said, I will give, to you, give him to you all the days of his life, that was a proving of the genuineness of her faith to God. And then the, this Chinese pastor says this, which I think is so important for us today. Put this in bold as I say it. If God loves you, he will not allow you to remain in a stable faith environment. If God loves you, he will not allow you to stay, to remain in a stable faith environment, meaning the wilderness is necessary. The trials are necessary. The testing is necessary. To be in a stable faith environment is a great feeling, but it will not push you towards the place you need to be to grow deeper in your love of God to see him as more precious than gold. So the wilderness then is necessary for every believer. 
as much as we don't want that. Let me just conclude this Hannah story for a second. So she gives birth to a boy named Samuel who becomes priest. But in chapter two, right after she gives birth, she's singing a a praise to God. And this is what she says. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. She was in the wilderness and then she finds God to be her rock in the wilderness. So that's point number two. Point number one, life is a wilderness. Point number two, there's a rock in the wilderness and that is good for us. A rock in the wilderness accomplishes many purposes. You can find shelter from a storm. I mean, again, we're talking big rocks, right? We're not talking a stone. We're talking a giant rock. If you find a rock in the wilderness in Israel or approaching Israel, that means you can, you can hide under it and find shelter from a storm that's passing through. You can find shade from the beating sun. You can even find water that's maybe dripping on the backside in the coolness of the rock. Or certainly you can find a place to sit or stand on to find rest. A rock in the wilderness is a gift. In desperation, when we're in the wilderness, we go looking for things like rocks. And notice I put the S on the end of it. We go looking for things like rocks that are not the rock. And this is very common. When you're in the wilderness, and again, maybe you're in this experience now, you're desperate to find anything that will bring relief. That will bring the promise of this ending, of getting out of the wilderness. And so this is where in verse 9 of of Psalm 81, God says, you know, just make sure there's no strange God among you. You know, let's bring that into our modern world. You could take that literally. You know, there's many people in this city, for instance, that that run towards strange gods from our perspective. Um, And that could be a literal God that something somebody worships of, of various spiritualities. But this could be anything else too. Anything that you put your hope in to get you out of the wilderness. Anything that you run to to try to to alleviate your pain or your distress. That's a strange God. And God says, don't have any of those among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. And this is common for us to go in the wilderness looking for things like this. And so I, I invite you maybe to consider that for you of Either if you're in this season now or if, you're, if you've been in a season, what, what have you run to other than the rock to find relief from your distress? Verse 10 immediately draws us back to, I am the Lord your God. Basically, he doesn't say I am the rock here, but he says it throughout the Old Testament. I am the rock. I am your rock. Verse 30, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Isaiah 44, 8, is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. God is the one rock. He is the one present with us in the wilderness. 
And he's the one providing for us in the wilderness, just as rocks do, like I said earlier. And so therefore, we can say with many others throughout history, Charles Spurgeon being the first one, I'll tell you, I thank God for every storm or wilderness, you could say, that has wrecked me upon the rock of Christ. Or as Tony Evans says, when you hit rock bottom, that's okay, because Jesus is the rock. And so that's the third point, I'll say. The rock in the wilderness that the Israelites encountered and the rock in the wilderness that you and I find and that we can sit on or seek shelter under or find water from, the rock is Jesus Christ. He is the strong one. He is the one who provides for us in our deepest distressing times, whether it be our whole life or a seasonal wilderness. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is kind of reflecting on the waters of Meribah season. And he says this. All who were baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Jesus' life shows us that he is the rock because he was able to live a life of rock-solid stableness and sturdiness and strength that you and I are just not able to attain. Jesus' life is the life we should have lived. Jesus went into the wilderness and stayed obedient. Remember that story with Satan tempting him? So he went into that seasonal 40 days with Satan in the wilderness and Satan threw these three tests at him and Jesus remained obedient. But Jesus's whole life was a wilderness as well, right? Just like you and I are saying, this sinful, broken world is a wilderness in and of itself. It's almost like there's wildernesses within the greater wilderness. And Jesus lived his life perfectly righteous, sinless, without spot or blemish. He's the only perfect human to ever live. That's the core of the Christian faith. That's why we look to him. And yet Jesus was struck on the cross and died the death that you and I were supposed to die. Just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness and water flowed out, Jesus was the rock that actually was struck with the rod of God's judgment. The same staff that Moses hit the rock with to bless the people, God hit the rock who is Jesus so that you and I would be blessed as well. He was struck in accordance with God's perfect will in order to perfectly provide for sinful, needy humans like you and I. And he was struck by disobedient men, killed by the wicked and schemeful Uh, wicked schemes of sinful humans and Jewish religious leaders, kind of like Moses' second strike of the rock when he acted rashly out of sin. Jesus was struck by sinful humanity and God's perfect plan. But Jesus does ultimately lead us into the promised land. Jesus not only provides for us in our wilderness times and our challenging seasons, 
He also leads us out of the wilderness altogether, ultimately, by trusting in him. He leads us into the hope of heaven. You see, because like if Jesus is the rock, not only was he struck for us, but living water flowed out of him as well. As the living water flowed out of the rock at Meribah to provide for the people of Israel in their time of need, so when Jesus was struck as the rock of God, living water flowed out of him to nourish us spiritually forever. John 7, Jesus says as much. He stood up on the great day of the feast, probably the Feast of Tabernacles, the same feast. And Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John explains to us, now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. That's the life you and I receive because Jesus was struck as the rock. You know, and all this is kind of, it's counterintuitive for us because I think we think that as we believe in Jesus, that our life will somehow get easier or, or that our sins will become less and less. Um, you know, again, if, if the wilderness is a test for us, then you would think that by believing in Jesus, we would get better at passing the test, right? But as we continue to enter back into wilderness seasons, even after believing in Jesus, it doesn't mean that we actually pass the test any better. It actually means that we kind of realize that we fail the test more and more. I, I, I use this example often, but when I was in college, um, I was in my early 20s, obviously, and I was going to this church, and I remember just kind of a, huge moment for me in understanding the Christian faith was when a pastor stood up on the stage and he said something to this effect. I, I thought that as I got older, that I would be less sinful. He said, but actually I've realized that as I've gotten older, I've just discovered more of my sinful nature than I knew was even there before. And so here was a guy, at least 20 years my senior, saying, I've been following Jesus a long time, and I've actually just been discovering more and more sins that I didn't even know were there before. And that's part of the tested genuineness of your faith. It's why we go into the wilderness, so that these things come up, that God tests us, and then shows us his mercy and grace again in our time of need. And so in Christ, in the wilderness, we get sustenance, we get saving, we get stability. All that is given to us by coming to Jesus in the wilderness. But there's one more thing that's even better, and this is what we'll finish with. There's honey in the rock. There's honey in the rock. That's how it ends in verse 16. If you come to me, if you but listen to me, there's honey in that rock that I would satisfy you with. I went to Colorado a few years ago and someone took us out for pizza and this is just outside of Denver and I was expecting like you just kind of pizza. Like I've eaten pizza a hundred times in my life. hundred, no, hundred thousand times in my life I've eaten pizza. I know what pizza is, but I didn't know what Colorado pizza was. In Colorado, they give you honey with your pizza so you can dip, you can dip the crust, which is designed to be dipped into honey and let me tell you, 
It's something. There's honey with the pizza in Colorado. And there's honey in the rock when you come to Jesus, which means that Jesus isn't just giving you a utilitarian saving. He's giving you a saving that is satisfying and sweet to your soul. He's giving you something that is better than you expected. He's giving you the surprise of finding honey in the rock, not just water. Honey is at that rock. You went looking for shelter or water and you found something sweet and amazing. It's not just about survival now, it's about delight. Your taste buds are actually activated in the wilderness. You're not just surviving anymore, you're, you're thrilled, you're delighting, you're satisfied. God gives you more than what you even bargained for, more than just survival or utilitarian hope. He gives you the joy of being satisfied in your deepest self. The wilderness then becomes not just a place we're trying to survive or get through, but it actually becomes a place of deep satisfaction. It's in the hard times that we learn the most. And more importantly, it's in the wilderness where we encounter God the closest. And I think you would agree with that. If, you've, or if, you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus and you've been through hard times, I think it's in those times where actually you've felt the presence of God the deepest. I know I have. It's in the darkest moments where I feel the closeness of God providing and pushing me along and, and showing me his goodness more so than when things are comfortable and good. It's in those wilderness difficult times that things seem to be the sweetest. And again, read, read about believers in China or in, in other hard places in the world. They don't seem bitter. They seem pretty joy-filled because they're living in the wilderness, but there's honey in the rock in the wilderness. So how do you get the honey? There's just some practical things to conclude with as we prepare to, to taste the Lord's Supper together. How do you get the honey? The Psalm does give us some things to consider. Verses one through five, I think, give us a beautiful entrance into worship. Again, sing aloud, play the music, play the instruments, come to him with gladness. You know, again, when we're in the wilderness season, one of the things maybe we don't want to do is go to church because we just have a hard time getting up out of bed to go worship a God that we don't see providing for us yet. But come to worship when you're in the wilderness. Sing to him and let the music and the singing of others fill you up. Secondly, verses six and seven and verse 10, you know, God calls us to remember, you know, look back to see how God is has dealt with previous wilderness experiences for you before. This could be by journaling, like Mike mentioned a few weeks ago, or by just reading the scriptures and recounting the stories of God's faithfulness. Third, we're instructed twice in this psalm to listen to God. Verse 8 and verse 13, God is saying, if they would but listen to me, if they would just listen to my voice, so we talked about in the Sunday school class this morning, the power of meditating on God's word, which is listening to him speaking to you, especially in those wilderness times, prayer and meditation, listening to his voice and having him speak back to you. Fourth, in verse 10, it says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. You know, recently at our home, we had a little bush and we discovered a bird's nest in this little bush. 
and we put our little camera phone in there to try to take a picture of what was in there. And what, what did we discover? There was a little baby bird with its mouth wide open because it thought that we were the mom about to come feed its mouth. If only we as people were that expectant to God, that God would fill us in the same way a baby bird is. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Have helpless bird-like trust that God will fill you. And then lastly, verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me and that Israel would walk in my ways. Obey and it will go well for you. Keep moving. Keep getting out of bed and see what God has for you today. Just obey. Obey by getting up out of bed and follow him today. You know, the reality is, like I said, most of us, you know, struggle to pass the test every time. But the hope for us is that Jesus did pass the test. We put our faith in the one who did pass the test of the wilderness for us, who promises to be with us, who promises to satisfy our soul with honey from the rock because he was struck for us and he saves our soul by giving us the life that we didn't deserve, but the life that he lived for us. And so as we close, uh, that first Peter passage that the Chinese house pastor read uh, just becomes so relevant for us. Let me just read a portion of it again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. Gracious God, you have given us uh, so much in Jesus. Um, But I think the takeaway for us today is just to know that the, the test of life is actually a gift to us, that there's actually honey in the wilderness. Uh, in the rock of Jesus. So as we approach the wildernesses of our life, help us to come in with our, our, our mouths open, expecting to be fed with not just saving, but with honey, with something sweet and satisfying. It'll help us even be better uh, as we go throughout our days on this earth. As we approach the Lord's table, would you test our hearts now? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.